Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. All right, so today we're going to continue on in our book of Micah. We've been, uh, you know, it seems like forever we've been like in the Old Testament. We went through First and Second Kings, uh, and then we've been in this Minor Prophets study for a very long time. Uh, we have today and then next week, Tyler Bass is actually going to be preaching, so I'm super excited about that. Make sure that you're here um, for that. Come home early from Thanksgiving or do whatever you got to do uh, to be here next week. But then after that, December 4th, uh, we're going to start the book of John, right? New Testament is here, baby Jesus is born, we're all ecstatic about that. And so we're going to be in the book of John for 26 weeks, and one of the things we're going to do is uh, we're going to make these um, little Bible journal things available to you. These are, um, they're just CSB, uh, which is the translation that I preach from, uh, scripture notebooks. And so it has... Uh, scripture on one side and then some line pages for notes on that side. Uh, you don't have to get one, but if you want, it's a resource for you so that you can take notes over the next 26 weeks as we go through the book of John. These are going to be five bucks. Um, that's just the cost of them. We're not making any profit on that, all right? So those will be available to you next week. Sound good? Awesome. We're fired up about the Bible journals. I love it. Okay, so this Thursday is Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. Anybody else, like you would say, Thanksgiving is one of your favorites? Okay, good. I love it. Um, I love the food. I love the family time. Also, my birthday is always around Thanksgiving. Um, And so it's like everybody celebrates my birthday, you know? And so I love it. Now, I've noticed, though, that recently... Um, there's just been this push in our society to just bypass Thanksgiving altogether, uh, right? We, we go straight from Halloween just into Christmas mode. How many of you would confess this morning that you've already decorated for Christmas? Anybody? There's some of you unthankful people here this morning. Um, I just think, man, I think you, you decorate after Thanksgiving and, and then you celebrate Christmas, but we got to make Thanksgiving great again. That's the hashtag I think we need. Uh, no Black Friday shopping on Thursday, no, no Christmas music, none of that. Like Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas time. And then on December 26th, Christmas is over, put it all back up in the attic, right? You know what I'm talking about? And so today we're talking about being thankful. Uh, Actually, not really. We're t- today, we're, we're going to talk about Christmas today. Um, but, you know, we're, we're jumping ahead of Thanksgiving, and that's what we're going to do. Our, our text this morning comes out of uh, the book of Micah. It's one of the most famous biblical prophecies talking about the birth of Jesus. And we follow a, a teaching plan, and that's where we are today. Like it or not, we're before Thanksgiving talking about Christmas, right? And what we're going to see, though, is is some some details in this text that at first glance you think those seem insignificant like that what does that even what does that mean for us these insignificant details are actually a big deal what is small is actually a big deal right so a a couple weeks ago i was wanting to buy some firewood for our home i like to burn a fire in the evenings um 
there in our fireplace. And so I, I looked on Facebook Marketplace and I was trying to find some, some firewood to go and, and buy. And I found a guy um, who had some and he was gonna sell me a rick of firewood. And I have no idea how much a rick of firewood is, um, but I was gonna go buy it, right? And so I found him. I was messaging him, and he said, I can't be there on Saturday to, to help you load it, but my nephew lives right down the street. He'll come help you load it. So he gave me his number. I was texting with the nephew, and, uh, and we worked out the price, worked out all the details, and here I go. I go off to go buy it. Now, this place was way out in the country. Like, even you Greenbrier people would be like, that was country, right? And so I was way out there and I, I was in my truck went to go get this firewood I finally found the place I backed my truck up all right it's a Nissan Titan and I backed my truck up to the firewood uh, to to get it the nephew comes out he's gonna he's gonna help me now this stack of firewood was huge I, it was a rick is supposed to be like four feet uh, tall and eight feet long or something like that I swear this stack of firewood is as tall as I am um, and so anyway, we start loading it into the back of my truck. And uh, we, we load it all the way up. I mean, my truck is, I mean, it, the, it's pressing down on the tires, it feels like. We just got it piled up all the way in the back of the, back of the truck. And it gets to the point where I can't get any more wood in the back of my truck. I've gotten as much as I can hold, and the stack of wood is still there, and there's, uh, there's some left, right? And I just thought, you know what, y'all just keep that. I'll go ahead and pay for it. In fact, you can keep the change from what we agreed on and you just keep what's left, right? I get in my truck, I drive off, I'm excited. I got a whole truckload of firewood that I can't wait to burn this, this winter. And I get a text and it's the nephew and he's thinking that he's texting the uncle, but he texted me, right? And he texts a picture of all the firewood that I couldn't get in the back of my truck and he says, his little truck couldn't hold it all. Yeah, he called my truck little. Which, as a guy, that's like top 10 list of things you don't say to another dude, right? That his truck is little. And so I'm like, what in the world, man? And so like, he called my truck little, right? But it's not little, it's a, it's a Nissan Titan. The name is Titan, it's a V8, you know? It's got the tires and it's a truck. It's a man's truck, it's not a little truck, right? So. The point is, what may seem insignificant is actually a big deal, and that's what we're going to see in Micah chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to Micah chapter 5 this morning. So if you remember last week, um, talking in chapter 3, we, we talked about bad leadership and what bad leadership looks like, that bad leaders, uh, they, they twist the truth and they hurt people and they're selfish. And it's kind of a theme in the book of Micah that they were in need of good leadership. In fact, in chapter four, uh, verse nine says, why are you shouting loudly? Is there no king with you? It's almost like they were, they were searching for a good king, right? And in chapter five, uh, we are told that one will come. One will come, and he's the perfect king that, that you've, you've been waiting for, right? That's what Micah says. He's the perfect king. He's the promised king. He's one that will restore you. He's what's called the Messiah, and the Messiah is the promised savior. That's what that word means. And now, spoiler alert, 
we're talking about Jesus this morning, all right? We're not gonna get to the end and be like, ta-da, it's Jesus. No, from the beginning, I want you to know we are talking about Jesus specifically, that Micah, empowered by the Spirit of God, 700 years before Jesus would be born, Micah is telling us about the day that the Savior of the world will be born and the things that he will do. That's what we're gonna talk about this morning out of this ancient Hebrew text. Before we do, I want us to pray. And so I'll pray for all of us. You pray for yourself that God would speak to you in this time. God, we just wanna uh, just pause and ask that in a way that only you can through your word, that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would shape us, that you would reveal truths that maybe we haven't seen before, but all in all, we just wanna see you and we wanna hear from you this morning. That's why we're here. So we're asking that you would speak and we're promising to listen. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, Micah chapter five. Look at verse two. It says, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor has given birth then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. Verse four, he, it's very specific, will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord his God. They will live securely, for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. All right, so out of that text, I want us to look at three seemingly insignificant details that are actually huge details for us this morning. Three insignificant details. Number one, uh, the Messiah says he will come from Bethlehem. He comes from Bethlehem. Uh, specifically, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, there was two Bethlehems in the region of this time, so this is very specific. Most people know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because it's in a lot of the Christmas songs, right? And so we're familiar with that. But do you know why it matters? Do you know why it matters where he was from? See, where you're from is a big deal, right? Where you're from is, is important. It says a lot about you, right? There's a lot of pride about where you're from. I grew up in Bethel, Oklahoma. Don't say I grew up in McLeod or Meeker, Oklahoma. Those are fighting words, right? Just like if I were to say, if you were from Greenbrier, that you're actually from Valonia. That's the same thing, right? You'd be like, no, that's not the same thing at all. Those are, those are fighting words. And so where you're from matters. There, there's a couple of significant reasons that he is going to be from Bethlehem, Micah says. The first reason is that Bethlehem was a, is a tiny little town. It's a tiny little town. In fact, verse 2 says, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. So most scholars um, say that around this time when Jesus was born, that Bethlehem actually had less than 500 people. So just for reference, uh, Wooster is twice that, right? And, and so we're talking a very small, very tiny little town. This would be like saying that the Messiah will come from Damascus or Bigelow or Quitman, which Quitman's actually too big. It has 680 people, right? And so keep in mind, Micah is saying this 700 years before Jesus would actually be born. There is no way in the world Micah could guess that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. 
It's way too small. If you're gonna, if you're gonna guess something, you're gonna guess Jerusalem, or you're gonna guess one of the major capital cities. You don't guess one of the tiniest little towns that isn't even mentioned among the clans of Judah, right? You just don't, don't do that. So it's a tiny little town. It's also significant because this little town had a famous past resident. You ever see a small town that has like a sign whenever you come into it that says, welcome to so-and-so, home of so-and-so, right? Where I grew up, it was welcome to Bethel Acres, home of country music star Wade Hayes. Anybody ever heard of Wade Hayes? <laughs> really? Okay. I don't even know who Wade Hayes is, and I, I grew up there. I'm pretty sure he lives back in Bethel, right? But, but Bethlehem had a, a, a famous past resident. Ruth chapter 4 kind of gives us the origin story of it. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 11, it tells us that, that Boaz married this girl named Ruth in Bethlehem Ephrathah. That was the, that's where they got married, and it says that they had a son. In verse, uh, verse 11, it says that they had a son and named him Obed, right? Verse, verse 17, it says the, the neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi. She's, she's the grandma. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. Now, that David is the David that you're thinking of, David and Goliath, King David, the great David who would come uh, from Israel, the greatest king to ever exist in, in Israel. He's from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, right? In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, whenever Samuel, the prophet, goes to anoint the new king of Israel, uh, which is going to be David, he goes to Bethlehem, Ephrathah, and 1 Samuel 16, 1, uh, he's, God tells Samuel to go there, and he says, I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his sons, talking about David. Now, why does this matter? Because God had promised that the Messiah would come from the line of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God talks to King David, and he says, from your lineage or from your line, there's gonna be one who sits on the throne forever. There's a greater king than you, David, that's coming, and he's gonna be the eternal king. He's gonna be the promised Messiah. That's what 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 talks about. So what we see is there's two requirements for the coming Messiah. He's gonna to have to come from the line of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he has to come from Bethlehem, Micah chapter five. That's why when we get to the Christmas story in Luke chapter two, it's a big deal. Insignificant details actually are a big deal. Luke chapter two, I want you to see this and I want you to even remember it whenever you're reading this in about a month from now with your family. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place by Quirinius, Sure, that's how his name was said. We're gonna call him Q, was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David. Jesus's dad, right, his earthly dad, Joseph, is from the line of David. So they go back to Bethlehem for uh, the census. Verse 5, to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. We know that to be Jesus. Uh, then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in tightly, uh, wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, 
If you're not aware of everything that we just talked about, about the requirements for the Messiah, you just breeze right on past verse four right there, right? But whenever you understand the requirements, verse four is a big stinking deal. That to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the line of David. Immediately, that starts screaming Messiah, right? And the people in the New Testament understood that as well. Even the people who weren't followers of God, King Herod in Matthew chapter two, um, Matthew chapter two, King Herod heard this deeply disturbed along with all of Jerusalem. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. He had heard that there was a baby born. He's like, uh, uh, we need to figure this out. Where's the Messiah supposed to be born again? And they said in Bethlehem of Judea, because this is what was written by the prophet, and they quote Matthew cha- or Micah chapter five, verse two, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. See, when Jesus is born, he sets off shockwaves. From this tiny, insignificant town in Bethlehem, Jesus, the Messiah, has come, just as Micah said would happen 700 years earlier, right? It's a big deal. Insignificant maybe at first, but that is a big, big deal. The second insignificant detail is that it says he comes to rule. Verse two, he comes to rule. Now, there's other prophecies about the coming Messiah that also talk about the fact that he comes to rule. Isaiah chapter nine is the most famous one that says that the government is gonna be on his shoulders, that he's gonna reign and, and rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom, and he's gonna establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. And so they had this idea that the Messiah was coming and he was gonna be this great military leader that the government was gonna be on his shoulders. In fact, that's why the Jews today reject Jesus as the Messiah. That detail, they, they, they expected the Messiah to come in and overthrow their greatest enemies and Jesus didn't come in and do that, right? Um, now on his second return, he's gonna come in and he's gonna, he's gonna lay down the wood, right? And he's gonna, he's gonna set up shop. But whenever he came the first time, he didn't do that. And so the, the Jews didn't recognize Jesus as being this promised Messiah that the government was on his shoulders and he reigns and, and rules. They also don't accept him because in Deuteronomy it says, curses anyone who hangs on a tree. And so they, they feel like Jesus being crucified negates his, his right to be the Messiah. But Isaiah chapter nine talks about the fact that he's gonna reign and he's gonna rule. Micah chapter two, uh, five, verse two says, one's gonna come from you, Bethlehem, to be ruler over Israel for me. And his origin is from antiquity, from, from ancient times. And that's, that's interesting, right? That he's gonna be a ruler. And it gets even more interesting that he says he's gonna rule for God. Or he says, for me. That's talking about he's gonna be a ruler for Yahweh. Now, think about the past kings in Israel's history. Think about everybody that we've talked about through our first and second Kings series and even through the, the prophets uh, series. Like there have been some decent kings, but there's also been some really, really bad kings in their history. I mean, even, even their best king, King David, was a failure. He was an adulterer and he was a murderer. And he's called a man after God's own heart. And so their, their, fam- their, their lineage, their history is just filled with, with bad kings. And so now Micah's saying he's promising a king that will rule for God. Like that is, that's next level. In fact, in Isaiah, Isaiah gives us further insight into how this Messiah will rule. Isaiah chapter 11, 
Um, I just want you to notice like all of the significant details that sound different from all the other kings that they've had, okay? Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, all right? That's talking about David again. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed. Now that sounds directly opposite from the bad leadership we talked about last week, right? He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips. Faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. That sounds like a completely different kind of leader than Israel had had, right? That doesn't sound like the, the, the stories that we've discussed recently. This leader that's coming, he's not full of selfishness. He doesn't hurt people. He doesn't twist the truth for his own gain. This one that is coming will actually be like God because he is God. And Colossians chapter one clearly defines that for us. Colossians 1.15, it's the Christ hymn talking about the preeminence of, of Christ. It says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. That he is the exact imprint or he is the visible representation of God. He is God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. And whenever he says it's for, or his origin is from antiquity and it's from ancient times, that means that both he was predicted, just as we just spent the last 15 minutes or so talking about, that he was predicted, but it also means that he's eternal, that he is uh, always has been, uh, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But it's also that he always will be, that he's gonna sit on the throne forever, Isaiah chapter nine says. In fact, the word ancient times there is the same word used in Daniel chapter seven when it calls God the ancient of days. That he is before all, he always has been, always will be, and that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the king of kings who rules and reigns forever. And that's why they killed him. That's why they killed him. It wasn't because he was a nice guy. It wasn't because he had a big following. It wasn't because he was kind of disrupting the peace and saying things that they didn't like. It was because he was claiming to be the Messiah. And they understood that to be everything that we've just talked about. They understood that the Messiah was gonna be who, one who rules for God, one who is God, right? In fact, when Jesus is standing before the high priest in Matthew chapter 26, before his crucifixion, the high priest says, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus just says, you've said it. As if to say, that's right, that's exactly who I am. And when Jesus says that, it sparks the path to the cross. That he is the Messiah. And when he said that he was, Matthew 26, 65 says, then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all answered, he deserves death. 
Again, not because he was a nice guy, not because he has a following, but because he claimed to be the Messiah, the one who would come and rule and reign forever on the throne of David, the promised one of God who is God in the flesh. That's a big statement. So seemingly insignificant, that's a big deal, that he will rule from God. Third, the last one that, that we'll see, the insignificant detail is it says that he comes to shepherd. He comes to shepherd Verse four says, he will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord, in the majestic name of the Lord, his God. Now you think about what a shepherd does. You think about throughout scripture how the the imagery of a shepherd is used over and over again. A shepherd is someone who leads the flock. There's someone who, who feeds the flock. They protect the flock. They nurture the flock. They love their sheep, right? And sheep desperately need a shepherd because they're so dumb. (laughs) Sheep are really, really dumb animals, right? And so they need a shepherd. And so in the Bible, shepherding is, is, is almost a savior figure for these sheep that desperately need it. Like a shepherd is both sacrificial, but it's also really strong. A shepherd's not this weak guy who just follows around sheep all day. Like, David talks about having to fight off uh, bears and lions whenever they come to attack the flock, right? So shepherding is sacrificial and it's strong. And so whenever the Messiah comes, it says here that he stands to shepherd. Like he stands to shepherd. That means that, that he, one, he has the authority to shepherd, but it also just means that he's, he's all in. Like he's not half-hearted in his efforts. He is willing and able to shepherd the people of God. And it says that he shepherds in the strength and the majesty of the Lord, meaning this, that he has the authority and the power of God. Nothing can stop him from his work. That he shepherds in the majesty of the Lord, meaning that the word majesty describes kind of a, a throne that is elevated above everything else. It signifies strength and it signifies authority. Think about uh, the last time you were watching a TV show or a movie that had like a, a king type of person and their throne is, is setting up tall, right? You better not come against the throne. You better not raise up against whoever's sitting on that throne. He's in charge of everything. In fact, that's what verse four says here, that his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth, basically meaning that there is nothing and nowhere that he isn't in full control. The one coming, Micah says, is a shepherd. And he shepherds with all authority and power and strength. That's who he's gonna be. In John chapter 10, Jesus stands up and and you know what he calls himself? Shepherd. Calls himself the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, he says, does a couple of things. The good shepherd in, in John chapter 10 verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So the good shepherd knows you. There's closeness and there's intimacy there. And then it also says in verse 11 that the good shepherd lays down his life. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus is the promised shepherd 
that came to die so that the sheep could live. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's what we believe. That's why we're here this morning is because we believe that the God of the universe loved us enough to step in and save us from our sin problem. Our sin problem separates us from a holy God. And we had no way of leading ourselves out of that. And Jesus puts on skin and bone and he comes to this earth. He lives a perfect life. He dies a death that you and I should have died. He's dead and they put him in the tomb for it. He's there for three days until he comes bursting out alive. And when he does, he proves that he is God. He proves that he is the epitome of everything that we just talked about, that he is the perfect fulfillment of the promised Savior, the promised Messiah that the world desperately needed. That's, that's who he is. And the invitation of the gospel is that whoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. Place your trust, place your faith in him, and the Bible says that you will be saved. And when he is your shepherd, when there's personal intimacy there, you've turned your life to him, you can say, like King David does in the famous Psalm, Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. See, he's the promised king from the line of David. He, he's God in the flesh, and he's ruler of all, and he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the savior of the world. That's what Micah was trying to say 700 years before Jesus showed up on, on the scene. And then we, we get to live this side of Jesus and this side of his cross, and we know that everything that they said about him would happen, did Jesus is who he says he is. The word is true, and we can take it to the bank. And because it's true, well, it affects our day. It affects how we actually live. It does two things for us as we, as we close. Verse four says, because all of this is true, because we have a Messiah, because we have a Savior who really did come, we have a Savior who really did come and he rules and reigns forever and he really is the shepherd of our lives and he, he lays down his life for us. He knows us by name and he, there's intimacy there. Because all of that is true, verse, verse four says, we live securely. We live in the security of knowing who our shepherd is. We live in the security of knowing Jesus, our ruler who reigns and rules. His greatness extends all over the earth. There's nowhere and no one that he isn't in charge of. He's ruler, he's God, he's always has been, always will be. And because of that, you and I have security, right? And no matter what comes up in our day, like, like Psalm 23, four, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because why? Because the shepherd's with me. And so we have that security as believers in, in him. And then the second truth for us, verse five says that we live in peace. We live in peace because he's our shepherd and he guides us and he walks with us. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. See, peace here in verse five, I want you to see that. Verse five, the first part there, says he will be their peace. I want you to notice here that, that peace is not a feeling. Peace is a person, it's Jesus. He is our peace. 
And, and the, the, the thing to walk away from this morning is when you know Jesus, well, then you know security and you know peace that this world doesn't know at all. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.
bunko night in the carousel room. There will be sweet treats and lots of laughs, and we can't wait to see who will be crowned the bunko queen by the end of the night.